Okay, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? I think Edward gave you a hint. Yeah, seek ye first. I talked to you about the about when I got saved. You remember that? I got uh, Keith was seeking the Lord, and and uh, um, then I got went up to the altar and I got baptized and I got saved that night. And my whole life changed from that point on. You remember that? Well, from that point on in our lives, we were just just singing this song about, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you everything about me. And something happened during that time that during those first few days, I was that way, man. I was so much just wrapped up in the Lord. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. All I wanted to do was talk about the things of the Lord. But then. But then. We started getting busy doing the natural things of life. Went back to work. Went back to doing our daily routine of things. Went back to not going to church as much because we weren't seeking as much. I was filled. We went to Rama. He was seeking. He was getting fed every single day. He was in class from 8 o'clock in the morning till noon. Or 12.30. Then he'd get out 30 minutes for lunch. Then he'd go to prayer school from 1 to 2. Then he'd go to healing school from 2.15 to 4 o'clock. So he was getting this word every single day from 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And then after that, he and his friend would come home. They'd get in the Bible. They'd studied what they'd learned that day. I would work from 8 o'clock in the morning. Till 7 o'clock at night. Paying the bills. And by the time I'd get in, I'd cook dinner. And I'd go to bed. Nary did I see the light of my Bible. I would go to church on Sunday. And... Brother Hagin was having seminars during that time, maybe five a year. I was going to church on Sunday. I wasn't backslid. I wasn't living for the devil. I was using what I thought I knew. But during this time, something was happening. I was saved. I knew I was saved. There was no question about I was saved. I loved the Lord as much as I had ever seen anybody love the Lord. But our lives were getting in a mess. Our marriage was about to be destroyed. I was living this life. He was living this life. Our finances, even though I was making good money, was going down the tube. It was like the Bible says, like having a pocket with holes in it. Because everything would break. The car would break down. We were driving back to Mississippi one time in our little car and the motor blew up on it. And we had to walk in the middle of the night, in the middle of a plantation... In the freezing cold, an hour and a half, we went to, I bet, I can't even remember now, it's been 25 years, eight houses knocking on the doors asking them did they have a telephone and every one of them told us no. And you know they did. Freezing cold. So we get another car from my uncle and on the way driving back to school, it breaks down. We had no money. Our marriage was falling apart. Our lives were falling apart. Keith was doing everything he could to serve God, going to Bible school every day, 
barely having enough to pay tuition. We had two dried up carrots in the refrigerator a lot of time to eat and a shriveled up onion. But I was saved and he was saved. And he was going to Bible school. I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been in that boat? The refrigerator would break. I didn't have a dishwasher. We would be sick. If it wasn't one of us, the other would be catching a... He never caught a cold. I would be sick. He was working at healing school. He is never sick. I ain't never seen him sick. (laughs) But it was just like it was one thing after another. And it's like Brother Hagin used to say, when you'd get one nostril above uh, above the water, it's like somebody would take a bucket and pour it on top of your head and you'd go back down. Just couldn't get ahead. And I didn't understand it. And one day, you've all heard me tell this. I was in a service. I didn't know the Hagens then, because like I said, Keith was going to school. And I was working from early morning to late night, bringing home enough money for him to do all these things. And this is the... At the, at the time, it was the RCA, but during the time I was there, we renamed it the Rooker Memorial, which was Mom Hagen's uh, maiden name, and, and uh, because we were adding another auditorium. And I, she sat over there about where Carrie's sitting, and, and I sat kind of over here where Tom is sitting, because Keith played the piano and stuff, and she kind of sat over there on the front row. And um, so... I happened to make it that night to one of the seminars. And she came up to me, made a beeline for me. I didn't know where she was going because it was rare for her to get amongst the people and stuff. Usually she just got out the door because a lot of people ask you stupid stuff. And take, after you're worn out, take your time and stuff. And, and um, not everybody, but a lot of people think it's the time to ask you some dumb stuff, but... Anyway, with her. And um, like example, I remember one time I spoke to the students and instead of asking you anything about what you spoke, they asked you what color your lipstick was or what kind of hose you had on or something like that, you know. And you're like, you just poured your heart out to people and that's what they want to know, you know. Um, So anyway, she made a beeline to me over here and she asked me, what did I think I was doing? And I thought, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here. She said, that's not what I mean. I had never met her one-on-one. Now that would be like me walking up to some of you that we, some of you that we've rarely had any contact with. You would think, what in the world place do you think you have that spot in my life? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Just like that. I said, I don't understand. She said, you're supposed to be everywhere. He's supposed to be in these services and everything else. She said, don't you know that a lot of people don't care about that ring on his finger? But do you know, it wasn't about that that got me turned around. It was about getting where God wanted me to be. Because when she said that, it became a different priority in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It didn't come about me being concerned that somebody was going to take Keith. I've never had a concern about that. 
Keith and I have been together since we've been kids. And my answer to somebody was, when they told me Keith was having an affair, I said, you would have to do it when he was sleeping. <laughs> because he has zero time. I don't know when in the world he would have an affair. Because I knew he was at school till 4 o'clock, and I knew he came directly home from school till 4 o'clock. And, I mean, he's sitting on the front row like this gentleman here, just like this, with his hands crossed, and looking at Brother Hagen square in the eye. And he's on the camera in front of Brother Hagen every day. And Brother Hagen's talking to him directly. In fact, you can see him on the camera every day. And then he comes straight home, studying with this guy till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and then he's back up at school at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I don't know when he's going to have an affair. But they came to me with that. And I said, he'd have to do it during his sleep. But the devil's mean. And he'll try to plant things in people's mind. But that wasn't what got me. What hooked me was my priorities were wrong. My life was wrong. God gave me that job. God gave me that job so that we could seek ye first the kingdom. And all along, I thought it was Keith that was supposed to seek ye first the kingdom. I thought Keith is the minister. I thought Keith is supposed to be at Bible school. I didn't ever really feel I was supposed to go to Bible school. You know, I, I just didn't. But that had nothing to do with me seeking God. And my one-on-one -on -one fellowship with the Lord. It had nothing to do with the fact that I had lost my time with the Lord. I had lost hearing from Him. And had lost seeking Him. Look at some verses with me. First Corinth, uh, Romans. Let's go there. First. Romans, King James, 14.10. It says, But why do you thou bro judge thou brother? Or why do you set it not thy brother? Read the next part with me. For we shall, for we shall, for we shall, for we shall, as a pair, husband and wife, as a family, as a mother and child. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess God. So then, what's the next word? Every one of us will give an account of himself to God. That means each and every person will have to answer for what they did, not for what their spouse did, not for what their brother did, not for what their uncle did, not for what their mom did, not for what their cousin did, not for what their sister did, not for what anybody else did, but for themselves. And I think that was part of the revelation that I began to see during that time as I would sit in services and stuff. Now, when you get saved, this is what happens. When you get saved, it's like you take a cup. Have you ever used the same dish when you're cooking or something? You rinse out a cup and you want to put something else in it. Okay. Okay. So you've got something of one sort in that cup and you want to rinse, say you got coffee in it and you want to rinse it out and put some water or some juice in it. So what do you do? You take it, you wash it out and you put the other substance in it. Well, that's kind of, kind of what happens to us when we get saved and baptized. It's like God takes us 
And he washes out all the old stuff that was in us. And he puts something new in us. But the problem with that is, a lot of people don't wash it very clean. They leave a lot of the old residue in there. They like a lot of their old life. And a lot of their old thoughts. And a lot of their old ways. They leave a lot of the old crud in there. It's like they're still drinking out of an old dirty cup. When God washes us, what he wants us to do is he wants us to wash away all of our thoughts about what we thought about a subject. When you wash that cup clean, you need to clean that cup. You don't want to leave that cup sitting there overnight. And how many of you drink coffee? What happens when you leave a coffee cup sit overnight? <laughs> All that stuff is just hanging on the sides and it's a film and it's just... What if you leave it two days? What if you just take that thing and pour the coffee out and then you pour some juice in it or some water in it? It's going to turn your stomach, isn't it? That's how some of, some of us are on the inside when we get saved. It's like we refuse to turn away from our Catholic tradition. See how quiet it got? We didn't wash ourselves clean and ask God what he thought about it. We held on to our Baptist stuff. Or we held on to our Presbyterian stuff. We didn't wash our cup clean and go to this book and say, Now God, you're my Lord. What do you have to say about it? My mama and daddy thought this, my brother thought this, my cousin thought this, everybody else thought this, but what do you say about it? We leave a little bit of that old nasty stuff in us. Why? Because we like that coffee. We liked it. Do you know why people, I'm going to answer a question that generations have wondered about. So get your pencil out, write it down. You're going to, people have wondered about it forever. The Lord told me just the other day. Do you know why people have affairs? Because flesh calls to flesh. Something about your flesh likes something about their flesh and it feeds your flesh. Flesh calls to flesh. And you begin feeling sorry for yourself. So the devil is going to accommodate you with another person that feeds that flesh. They feed that flesh. They feed your flesh. They don't feed your spirit. They feed your flesh. And the more you yield to that, the more you yield to your flesh. But the more you yield to God, the more you resist your flesh. And the more you find out God's opinion about stuff, you don't want to be around people that help you to yield to your flesh. You want to be around people that help you to yield to your spirit. And see, what I was choosing to do is I was choosing to yield to people that wanted to help me to yield to my flesh during that time. I didn't want to go to church. I had grown up not in church. I didn't, I didn't really care for going to church all the time. A, a lot of you, we went to Mass on Saturday night. We went to confession before we went to Mass. And we were basically, what uh, we did our confessional. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then ten minutes after you leave church, you sin again. Right. 
You didn't understand that you were sinning because you didn't see anything wrong with it because all you had to do was go back to the confessional and say, Father, it's been a week since I've sinned. And you told him what you wanted him to hear. And you didn't really tell him what you did, just what you thought he wanted to hear. But you went out and did your life whatever you wanted to do the next week. Well, Catholics are not the only ones that do that. It's just other people don't go to Mass and confess it. They just don't say anything about it. But what happens when we get saved is, this is a picture that the Lord gave me, and I thought, Lord, that is so good. He's so smart. It's like when we get saved, or when we're born, period, a new baby, God gives us Everything we need. And when we're babies, we are complete. There's nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. Absolutely nothing. But as you grow through your childhood years, you begin to do things that are not right. And you need to get saved. So it's like all that stuff inside you is like that cup. It's washed off again. And so when that happens, it's like... He permeates you with love again. Immediately. How many of you, when you got saved, you felt that love? Immediately. It was so strong in you. And some of us began to share it. And it began to grow. And it began to grow. And he also said he gave us a little bitty, bitty, bitty bit of faith. So it was like inside of us, there was a light of love. And it may not have glowed real big. And there was a little, like a little bitty tiny pin light of faith. But there were also some other things in us. Like long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and peace and all the other things. The fruit of the Spirit. But maybe we hadn't tapped into them yet. But they're there. And they're washed off. But the more we yielded to that love, look at a verse with me. Ephesians 4. 20. You'll see what I'm talking about. But you have not so learned of Christ. If so be that you had heard of him and been taught by him... As the truth is in Jesus, that you do what? Put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We have to put off all those thoughts and all those things that we did when we were in our flesh. We have to put off all those. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. He used to say, if when you got saved, your flesh wanted to go and rob a gas station. If you didn't control your flesh immediately after you got saved. You would still go rob that gas station. Because it's still your flesh. It's your mind that was washed clean. of the. It's your spirit I mean that was washed clean. And we have to renew our minds. Your spirit is no longer dead. It's a new man. It's a new creation. But your spirit is like a little bitty baby. It knows nothing. And it's our job then to fill it with the right things. It's like you poured everything out of that cup. Now you have to start filling it with the good stuff. You poured out all that cruddy coffee. Now there's nothing in that cup. But it matters to you what you put in it. You don't want to do like I did. And like a lot of people have done. 
immediately start going back into the world and filling it with the world's stuff. We've got to start filling it with God's stuff. We've got to start filling it with what God told us to fill it with. I think today people get saved. And Keith said that the Lord had given me a few weeks ago a really good revelation about something. And I think this is it. I think we have what I call add-on God in our society today. I think people get saved and they do what I call basically a plus one. They want to get saved and they don't want to change anything about their lives. They just want to add God to their lives. They don't want to change anything. They don't want to change any way that they think. They don't want to change any way that they do. But do you know God said, be ye holy as I am holy? You know, today's society is saying, you don't have to do all that to serve God. You don't have to do all those things to be a Christian. You don't have to do all those things to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. But you know what? I'm coming to find out. We may be a little bit old-fashioned at Faith Life Church. But just during this last week, I started reading in Revelation again. And I found out, and we're going to read some of it here in just a minute, that man's opinion is not who I am going to stand before. My knee is not going to bow to another person's opinion about what they think the Bible says. And I don't know what your opinion of be ye holy means. But I do know this. I do know that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And when you go to do something that ain't holy, that there's something inside of you that's going, stop it. Don't do that. Don't watch that. Don't be there. Don't go there. Don't do that. And your friend standing next to you says, oh, it's okay. God, God don't care about that stuff. We're under grace. But are you going to bow to them? At the judgment throne, are you going to bow to the Lord? Who are you going to answer to? Now, I know this is a very heavy, as you would think, subject. But let me tell you something. After I changed and I realized, Phyllis Moore, you get your in gear. (laughs) And you start seeking God. And you start putting God first. And you live for the Lord. And you forget about what Keith Moore is doing. If he's doing anything right, or he's doing anything wrong, or he's serving God, you forget about if you like what he does to you, or he, you don't like what he does to you, or for you, or against you, or if he remembers that you're working and he's doing this, or you're bringing home a paycheck. Selfishness. Because if he wouldn't have done that, where would we be today? You forget all that. And you seek me. You forget all that. It's like a page turned in our life. It's like where we had one nostril under the water and were barely breathing and couldn't swim. It's like almost overnight. When I quit feeling sorry for myself and quit trying for looking for reasons to look to somebody else to blame for something or somebody else to say they weren't doing what I wanted and quit trying to make excuses that I didn't have to live holy or be an example 
or I didn't have to be nice to somebody. And I quit trying to do all that. I mean, I used to be a pill. You think I'm straight now? You should have seen me years ago. I remember one day, bless their hearts, Tom and Dave, when we first started the church. It's a wonder they're still working for us. It was like I was out of an insane asylum. I was so mean. But the more you grow, the more light sheds in your heart. And the more you become Christ-like. But not only that. The more all the external things begin to go away. The finances begin to... You forget about them. They just start filling in. You forget about the marriage problems. They just kind of go away. You forget about the problems with the family. They just kind of... Where did that happen? When did that change? I don't even remember. You forget about the problems with your job. It just kind of fixes itself. And all the things that you were stressing about night and day trying to fix yourself, it's just like it just, poof, disappeared. And you were spending your whole life trying to fix it. You were spending every waking moment being concerned about that thing. And you can't fix the hairs on your head, he says. But when I did what he was singing about, and I gave my whole life, my heart, my soul. I remember at Rama one night. They were singing a song comparable to that. And Brother Hagen came up at the end. And he said, every head bowed in here. And he said, it's commitment time. I know most of you people in here are students. You call yourself going into the ministry. But you've never really made a commitment to your Lord. He said, Lord means someone that can make you do whatever they want to do. But God never made you do anything. You have to make a choice with your life. Are you going to give him your whole life? Heart, mind, body, and soul. Are you willing to do that in here tonight? And he wasn't giving a salvation call. He was talking about giving the Lord your life. In my heart, I said, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too great a price. It is entirely too hard to give up all the things. All the things. But I look back now and I think about what did I give up? I gave up sickness. I gave up poverty. I gave up pain. I gave up getting a divorce. For the greatest blessings of my life. I I mean, the Lord, you will not find anyone that cares more about you than the Lord. Let me read you a couple of other scriptures here. When I did that also, I found abilities that I didn't have. I mean, I found abilities within me to do things I had never discovered before. God gave me talents to do things I was incapable of doing before. But when you spend time in His presence, He begins to open your eyes to things that you're capable of doing that you never knew you could. Listen to this. Believers do have freedoms, but listen to 1 Corinthians 10 in the NIV. It says, 
I have a right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. The Amplified says this, all things are lawful. They absolutely are. That is, morally legitimate, permissible. But not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful, but not all things are constructive to your character and edifying to your spiritual life. Let no one only seek his own good, but also that of the other person. Now, Corinthians says this, and Exodus says this. We don't have to turn there for time's sake. But God says, I am a jealous God. Say this with me. God's opinion matters more than man's. Say it again. God's opinion matters more than man's. I will give an account to God. I will not stand before Keith's judgment seat. I'm not saying Keith and I are in disagreement about absolutely nothing right now. He loves me dearly. He, I mean, he encouraged me so much yesterday and last night about, Phil, just relax, just do, you know, just be at home. Those people love you. Just, you should hear him. He's my biggest fan. (laughs) Nothing. But as much as he loves me, I'm not going to stand before him. No matter what he says for me to do. I'm not going to stand before you. People sometimes don't like what I do. I'm sorry. (laughs) I really am. I don't like to go cross grain of anybody. You like everybody to like you. Who doesn't like everybody to like them? You do. You want everybody to like you. But I want God to like me more. It matters to me that God likes me more than you like me. And that's what it's got to be with you. Let me, let me read you something Brother Hagin said. It's in his book, I Believe in Visions. It's where he talks about, if anybody wants to know it, I think it's on page 62, if you want to write it down. It says, Jesus gives me a special anointing. It said, then Jesus told me to kneel down before him. And when I did, he laid his hand on my head, saying that he had called me and given me a special anointing to minister to the sick. He went on to instruct me that when I would pray and lay hands on the sick, I was to lay one hand on each side of the body. And if I felt the fire jump from hand to hand, an evil spirit or a demon was present that the body in the body causing affliction. And I should call him out in Jesus' name and that demon or demons would have to go. If the fire or the anointing in my hands did not jump from my hand to hand, it would, cause, it would just need, uh, be a need of case of healing only. I should pray for that person in Jesus' name. And if he would believe and accept it, the anointing would leave my hands and go into that person's body, driving out disease and bringing healing. And when that fire or anointing left my hands and went into that person's body, I would know he was healed. I fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded, Lord, don't send me. Send someone else. Lord, please, don't send me. Just give me a little church to pastor somewhere. I'd rather not go, Lord. 
I've heard so much criticism of those who pray for the sick. I just want a commonplace ministry. Jesus rebuked me, saying, I'll go with you and stand by your side as you pray for the sick. Many times you'll see me. Occasionally, I'll open the eyes of someone in the audience and they will say, Why, I saw Jesus standing by that man as he was praying for the sick. Jesus asked me, now listen to this carefully. Who called you? Me or people? Well, you did, Lord. He explained, I should fear him, not people. Because even though people may criticize me, they are not my judge. I will stand before his judgment seat one day to give an account to him for what I have done with this ministry, whether I have used it rightly or wrongly. All right, Lord, I said, I'll go if you'll go with me. I'll do my best to be faithful as I know I have to be. Now, what does it matter what your mother or your father or your brother or your wife or your sister or your cousin or your aunt or your child think about what you do? Who are you going to answer to? Whose opinion matters? When you arise in the morning, the very first thing that should happen when you open your eyes is say, Lord, what's your plan for me today? I, just recently, we had a tragedy in Branson. All of you know about it. Somebody went home to be with the Lord, and I know for a fact, that person wasn't thinking they were going home to be with the Lord that day. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And all of us... We don't want to go through our lives like we have forever to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Or that we're going to fix it tomorrow. Or that we're going to do what we're supposed to do tomorrow. Or we're going to get it right tomorrow. And I'm not trying to strike fear in anybody, but the truth is the truth. The Lord will protect us. And He will keep us. But we're not guaranteed we're going to live down here forever. Even if you did live down here another 20 years. What is 20 years? I mean, I turned 59, I'm pushing 60. And it just seems like we started this ministry yesterday. And I feel like we could go another 60 years and still not accomplish everything we're supposed to accomplish. And if you started doing everything you were supposed to do from now till Jesus comes, what would you have to show for it? It shouldn't matter to you what your neighbor's going to think if you're a fanatical Christian. It shouldn't matter to you what somebody thinks if you're in a restaurant and you pray over your food. It shouldn't matter to you if you're in a store and you're kind to somebody and you say, no, that amount of money is not right. I've got to give you this back. You are representatives of the Lord. It should matter to you what the Lord thinks. We are his representatives. We are, you, you may get by with it. With your boss, you may get by with it with your mother, your daddy, your grandfather, your cousin, but you won't get by with it with the Lord. Let me read you a few things here, and um, it may take just a second, but you'll understand why I'm doing it. What does the Lord say? Revelation 2. The devil wants to keep you out of changing your life. He wants to keep you into thinking this way is okay. 
it's okay. So he can keep you broke and sick and sad and depressed and unhappy and bad marriages and bad kids all the days of your life. Take your cup when you go home today of thoughts of everything you learned before you were saved and throw it out and get in this book and see what he says. Don't assume you know what he says about the subject. Because I would be willing to bet you, you don't. Because if you did, you would have a positive effect in your life instead of a negative effect in your life. Because God only produces positive. He's come that you would have life and life more abundantly. So if you do the results in this book, you're going to have life more abundantly. Listen to these things. To the church at Ephesus, he says uh, in verse 2, I know your deeds. Well, that just throws all this new fanatical modern day religion out of the window because you're not supposed to have any deeds. You're not supposed to have to do anything. You're just supposed to come sit in church. This is in what color writing? I know your deeds. Your what? What's the next part? This is NIV. I'm sorry. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is to the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds and your what? You're not supposed to have to do that. And your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people that have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Yet, this is the Lord talking, I hold something against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at the first. That's what I did. I was in love with the Lord. He was my priority. He was the most important thing to me. I don't ever want him to tell me that again. I don't ever want the Lord to look at me and say, Phyllis, you forsook me. The love that you had for me in the beginning. I don't ever want him to tell me that. Repent and do what you did at the first. Now look at, uh, let's see, uh, verse uh, 9, the church at Smyrna. Well, verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So who's that? Jesus. The words of Jesus. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Does he not know? He knows. What does the next part say? Yet, you're rich. I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. It says, verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Um, I tell you, the devil will be put, will put some of you in prison and test you and you'll suffer persecution. Uh, but be faithful. Then to the church of Pergium, verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. Yet you did not renounce the faith. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some of you that hold to some wrong teaching. What did we just talk about? Is he going to look at me and say, Phyllis, you're still holding to some of that old stuff that I told you to turn loose of. You didn't clean your mind out. You left some of that old coffee in that cup. I want you to wash all that stuff out. I want you to find out what I have to say about it. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, also, um, have those who hold to the teachings of the Nickelodeons. It says, repent. But you're not supposed to repent. Don't have to. Yes, you do. Whose opinion matters? God's opinion matters. We have to find out what God says about something, not what our friends say, not what our neighbors say. Whose opinion matters? Everybody say it. 
Whose opinion matters? God's the only opinion that matters. Not even my opinion matters. Doesn't matter what I want to do. And that's the hardest opinion of all. When you have to put your flesh down and you have to do what God wants you to do in spite of your flesh. You have to find out what he says. Again, Thyatira, he knows your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. Nevertheless, you tolerate things. Then he goes on and, and tells uh, about your deeds again. Just, you just need to read this. It talks about in the church of Sardis. Verse 3. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found that your deeds are unfinished. How many of you could have unfinished deeds? Do you want to stand before the Lord? And he say, your deeds are unfinished. Your deeds are unfinished. Should we be seeking out, Lord? He's not a taskmaster. But he does have a job and a task for each of us to do. Do you think... This is what I thought. I'll tell you what I thought. And then we'll get ready to close. I thought, before I started seeking the Lord, I thought, Keith is going to Bible school. I will help him. I will be a good wife. I will do everything that I'm supposed to do to support him. But I didn't ask the Lord what he thought. I didn't ask him. So let me ask you a question. When I got to heaven, if I supported Keith in everything he did, but I never stood up here and spoke... And I never really truly read my Bible, but I helped Keith, man, nonstop. Would I be okay? No. 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 I'd be saved. I'd get in. What if the Lord told you to do something? Do you think just because you ignore it, he's going to forget about it? Just because your mom and dad forgot about it? Just because your boss forgot about it? Some of you in here ain't 29 anymore. And it may be too late to do those things. But the Lord's got something for you now. He don't hold the past against you. But he does want you to look to your future. And he does want you to say, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? You can't. It would be like me trying to go back to when I was 16 and say I was supposed to do this now. You can't do that. God doesn't expect us to do those sort of things. But he does hold us responsible for here and now and today. He wouldn't expect a... Uh, I, I don't believe, I, I didn't ask him this, so I don't want to just blurt it out. I don't think he'd expect an 80-year-old person to have a kid and do this and do that and do that. It'd be difficult for a 92-year-old person to run around and chase a kid. Well, I mean, I guess Sarah did, but you know. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. We, we need to find out what he's telling us to do today. And quit searching for what we want to do. We have become a generation of selfish. And what I need and what I want. And if we do that, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you can sense that it's got to be getting closer and closer to the end times. And if, if, if the world cannot look at us and see the difference between us and them... When you walk into the workplace or you walk into a store or you walk into someplace, where are they going to run? 
if they can't tell any difference between you and the person sitting in the cubicle next to you, who are they going to run to? Just because, just because you say you're a Christian, but their life looks better than your life, why are they going to want your life? And the only way that your life is going to be better, the only way people are seeking all these things... They're seeking that their marriage be better. They're seeking that their kids be better. They're seeking that their homes be better. They're seeking that they have finances. They're seeking that they have these things. But the only way, the only way that all these things get better is that when you get saved, you actually do renew your mind. You actually do spend time with the Lord and you give him. He is actually your Lord. You give him your life. You may not ever preach. But you can be a mechanic working on a car. And every person that comes in that door. You love on them. And you minister to them. And they see the peace of God on your life. And you may give this one a job. Or you may sow this to this person. Or you just may pray with this person. Or they may come in there and know your peace. We all have a job to do, but we cannot forget that's where our answer is. It's not about seeking the the healing. It's not about seeking. You don't go. Keith used to say if we just had a drive through at healing school, I think a lot more people would get healed. Because they just want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, give me healing. They don't want to spend time with him. And all of our answers come from being with him. Being in His presence. Our life devoted to Him. Our time devoted to Him. And when you go to do something that you know is not holy, when you go to do something that you know is not Him, back away from it. Get away from it. Don't let the devil pull you into it. You're not going to answer to that person. You're going to answer to Him. And you needn't kid yourself. It's just like I tell the youth all the time. That person's not the one sitting next to you. And that person's not sitting next to you. And it's not that God's standing over the top of you. There's somebody right inside of you that's seeing everything that you're doing. And he's part of the Godhead. And he knows what you're doing. And then you have zero confidence for anything else going on in your life. Can you say amen? Amen. It's not a sobering message. It's a very positive message. Because if we give God our lives, heart, body, soul, and mind, we close the door to the attacks of the devil. Do you know, I cannot tell you. I, I wish I could think of a time when Keith and I had a car breakdown. I wish I could think of a time where I didn't have the money to go buy something that I thought of that I wanted. And I can remember times standing in the grocery store line where I had to add up everything that I had to make sure that I had enough money to pay for it. This was before checks and credit cards. Or I was going to have to put something back. How many of you can remember times like that? It's embarrassing. Oh, she don't have enough money. Somebody come and do the register. I've been there. I have been there. So anytime I see somebody kind of fumbling that way, I hand them a hundred dollar bill. I think, buy what you need. I've been there. It's embarrassing. But I haven't been there in a very long time. In a very long time. And it's not because I've been seeking things. And it's not because I've been seeking healing. It's not because I've been seeking money. And it's not because I've been seeking housing. It's because I gave him and I give him 
Why do you think I, I sing that song? The guys laugh at me, that shout to the Lord song. I give you everything, Lord. It's because of you. All of my days, I'm going to praise you. All of my days when I wake up in the morning, I, I'm going to love you. Because I know the difference between this and this. I lived in hell. Pure hell. Marriage falling apart. Finances falling apart. No money. Nothing. And I live in daylight. That's the difference. That's all the difference. Bow your heads. Now, this is very serious to me. I'm going to do what Brother Hagen did. It's a very serious thing. And if you're in here and you feel like I did, Lord, I can't do that. That's too hard. Wait till you can. Wait till you can. But be like the Pharaoh. How many more days do you want to live with the frogs? I don't want to live with them one more day. If you're in here, every head bowed, except for there's maybe one or two camera operators, sound people, choir, everybody, bow your heads. Branson, the same thing. Please, bow your heads. No one looking around. The ushers don't even have to look around right now. And you know you're saved, just like I was. And you did have your first love, the Lord, when you got saved. Just stand up with me. Let's do it that way. Stand up with me. Play play something just real softly. But you got away from your first love. You got away from it. And not only did you get away from it, but you kept some of that old crud from your old life. And you've been unwilling to turn loose from it. Either your old religion or your old flesh. And you've been unwilling to see what God has to even say about it. If that's you in here, every head in here bowed, every eye in here closed. If that's you in here today, I want you to raise your hand. Not before me. I'm not. uh, It's not about me. It's about the Lord. If you're in here today and that's you, raise your hand. It's just to the Lord. You're making this new and fresh commitment to him. You're ready. You're ready to take that turn. You're ready to make it fresh and new to him and say, Lord, I'm done with this old poverty. I'm done with this sickness. I'm done with this hurt. I'm done with this pain. I'm done with these things in my life. I am turning. I'm not even looking myself. So raise your hand if you want to. I'm looking down at the ground. It's between you and the Lord. It has nothing to do with me. It's between you and him. When you raise it up, you can put it back down. That's just between you and the Lord. I don't care. It's it's not me. And like I said, if you can't do it, if you're not ready to do it, or you think you can't do it, you know, faith is a step. And when I finally did raise my heart and hand, I couldn't do it by myself. And God doesn't expect you to do anything. Do you know I do as much drinking today as I want to do and as much dancing today as I want to do? As much smoking today as I want to do? Much lying today as I want to do? I have no desire to do it. My life is so fulfilled. It doesn't feel like it's lacking a thing. I don't miss partying and I don't miss all those things. Because I'm so fulfilled. When your cup is so full of something you really, really like, you're not looking for something else to fill it up. You don't want to substitute your drink. You like what you're drinking. 
One more time. If it's you in here and you want to make him Lord completely of your life and turn the page, and you're going to do it. It's up to you. It's not between me and you. Raise your hand. I see him. I'm looking now all over the place, all over the place, all over the place, all over the place. Lord, you see these hands and you see their commitment to you. I ask you to strengthen them with might in their inner man. Let them see and know you afresh. Just like when they were first saved, Father. Fill them with that love from you even now, Father, where they stand. Let their hearts hunger for whatever you call them to do. Make them see it new. Let them know what you want them to do. Give them a hunger. You said deep calls into deep. Let them see it and know it, Father. And I ask you to fulfill them with your plan and your heart's desire. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.